Well, hey, good morning, Gremlot Church. How are we doing today? Very, very good to see you. Uh, my name is Jason Rates. I pastor a church called Thrive Church, MI, up in Mount Pleasant, very, very, very far from here, uh, where there is a big, giant mountain. Uh, no, there's not. There is no mountain, but it is sure pleasant, I'll tell you. Uh, not right now, because my kids have had 16 snow days since January 1st, so... Uh, We'll be celebrating 4th of July and finishing their schooling. So it will be absolutely fantastic. Well, it's my honor to be with you this morning. I love your church. I don't know if this is going to sound weird or creepy stalker guy, but I follow along from Mount Pleasant. Like, I love it. Every Facebook post, I'm like, oh, look at that. I love it. I love what's happening here. I love your pastor, Shay. I think he is absolutely tremendous, and I'm honored that he asked me to fill in this weekend while he's away at camp speaking and encouraging teenagers, and I just love being here. I, the church that I pastor was uh, only started because there was a group of churches that came together to help us start much like this church, and I think it's just tremendous that as you guys, you love generosity so much that you're helping to start other churches. It's just absolutely, absolutely incredible. You know, I was watching that video um, uh, earlier. Uh, I was watching that video with the technology and the kids and, and those things, and I was thinking to myself, uh, wouldn't it be something if someday all of those kids got back at us and they, like, locked us out of all of our accounts? Wouldn't that be something? Like, we're, we're like, you don't know what a VHS tape is. And they're like, well, you no longer have banking on your phone. You know, like... <laughs> You can take that picture down. I'll get there in a second. Uh, but I have so much respect for what's happening here. It's a great blessing to be here. And we're finishing this series uh, called Brand New. And so through the course of the series, we've taken some looks at some ideas that may need some brand new thinking. Maybe some of our views need to change. And so we've been kind of looking at, okay, hey, how can we think differently about this Christian life? And the reality is all of us here have different understandings and thoughts about some of these perspectives. And especially today, we're going to finish up with this kind of brand new look at the church, the church. And for sure, all of us are coming from different perspectives from the church. We all have different. For some of us, just saying the word church like brings up all of these memories for you when you were a kid. You know, they're just like flush, flooding into your For me, I remember the wooden pews from my church. I don't know if you grew up in a church or you ever been a part of a wooden pews and we would like go to run and then all of a sudden we would hit the perfect spot and we would slide <clears throat> as far as we could. And <clears throat> the sanctuary in my church was just this little tiny tilt. And so I figured out very early on, probably about six or seven years old, that if I brought something like a bottle into the sanctuary, I could sit in the back and let it go and I could hear it get all the way down to the front. And then eventually somebody would be upset, so they kick it. And then all of a sudden, the entire church was like listening to this little pinball happening all through the church. I look, actually, this is a picture of my home church where I grew up. Uh, it is at Evergreen and Joy Road in Detroit, Michigan. Some of you may know where that is. Uh, the Evergreen Lutheran Church. Even looking at the picture, I'm like, oh my goodness. It brings up all these memories. What I remember the most are the smells. The smells. I mean, like, like I'm getting nauseous thinking of the smells. And I think of the words that we used for the different rooms, like narthex. Like, what is a narthex? Is that like the bone behind my septum? Like, I don't know what that is. But in its heyday, this church was a beacon of its community. 
And then, after all of these years, they just kind of changed, and they refused to change. And, and then there was one day where a new young pastor came to this church, and then he asked my dad to be the youth pastor of this church, and all of these things started happening. Uh, just to pause in the story, for me, it was a very exciting time, because my dad was my youth pastor. I was 13 at the time. I had developed this massive crush on this girl by the name of Tina. Um, she really wanted to make me go to church. I mean, it was, it was every Sunday morning. I'm like, let's go to church, Mom and Dad. I'm ready. I put on my bow tie, my suspenders. It was fantastic. And one day we're in the youth room, and my dad's like, my dad, the youth, let's go to a roller rink this Sunday. I'm like, yes, let's. Except the problem is I hate danger. I don't eat chili. I don't eat peeps. I don't like heights. So I don't like danger. But I looked across the way and Tina was sitting on the couch with like five of her friends. And back in this day, some of, I'm, I'm aging myself for some of you, but ladies in those days, like they would wear their hair absolutely as high as it could, like just straight up, like lots of hairspray. So every single girl was six foot five. I mean, it was, it was crazy. All of us boys felt so small. We're like, hey ladies, you know, they're like, where's the shadows? And so we're sitting there, and all her friends were like, all excited. They're like, we're going roller. And I'm like, I'm going roller skating. Let's go. So we hop in the church van. We drive to the roller rink. It's, 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 uh, it's horribly hot. There was no air conditioning. I was sweating like crazy. I was wearing a New Kids on the Block t-shirt. New Kids on the Block. Oh, 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 oh. The right stuff. And I decide to get this burst of courageosity or this cur courageousness. That's it, courageousness. Maybe both, courageosity and courage. And I decide to send Tina a 1987's version of a text message, which was a piece of paper. Like I, I pulled out a piece of paper and a pencil and I wrote, would you be my girlfriend? And I put why or not. So look at some, some of you are like, no, no. We're already getting our first, first look at you, Jason. So no, sorry, buddy. Come on, people. So I write on there, why or no, question mark. And I don't know, what, I don't know why, but I'm sweating. Like, I was sweating so bad that I leaned up from the seat and my entire body image was in. And you could read, oh, 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 the right stuff. So I take a big deep breath. I pass the note forward. I pass the note forward. It goes through like three rows of dudes, which I don't know how it made it all the way to Tina's row because who's going to grab that and make fun of me? So it gets to Tina. She opens it up. All of her friends were like, and, and the problem with Tina was what made, it, what, what made her presence so rich was that every time she walked into the room, I kid you not, it smelled like Cinnabons. Every time she came in the room, it was just... We'd be sitting in their youth room and, and, and people, everyone's talking and then Tina would walk in and we'd be like, <sighs> Cinnabons. Like, I'm not talking to the cheap Cinnabons. I'm talking like mall quality, Cinnabon, ooey gooey. Like, come on. <clears throat> and so it gets all the way up to her. She opens it up. Her friends are looking. They start swaying. Their hair is hitting the ceiling of the van. And whatever they did when they moved, all of a sudden it was like, Cinnabons. You know, it was just like, okay. She opens it up. She writes something. She passes it back. How it got to me, I don't know. But it did. And I opened it up. And for the first time in my life up until that point, 
I was in a committed relationship. She said yes. She said yes. This was a big deal. I felt pretty good about myself. I'm glad that I wore deodorant that, that morning. It was huge. So we get to the roar rink. Everyone's hopping out. I want to do this relationship right. I hold open the door for her. At this point, we haven't even spoke. We haven't even used words yet. There was no words. I wanted to buy her her favorite candy, sweetest fish, but she had braces. She couldn't eat it. And so 11 minutes into our relationship, we had not said one word to each other. And, and the, the moment that I had been waiting for happens, and the DJ something, said something magical like, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for couple skate. <laughs> and why that's magical is because for the first time in my life, well, no, that's not true. This would have been the third time I was about to hold hands with someone from the opposite sex. <laughs> and I was very excited. The only other two people I held hands with was my mom, and there was this... Don't, don't judge, but there was this older lady down the street who would pay me to hold my hand. Look, looking back, looking back, definitely dangerous. Uh, looking back, stranger danger, but she was sweet and she paid me a quarter. And uh, even though her hand felt like Crisco, uh, I would get the quarter and I'd go buy non later. So this would have been, <laughs> that's really bad. <laughs> that would have been the third lady's, lady's hand. So Tina's across the way, I'm across the way. She comes skating towards me, I come skating. She's like a gazelle, I mean, she's just floating. I mean, she's just like a hop and a float. I'm sort of like a <clears throat> half beach, beached whale, like just kind of, <clears throat> kind of moving towards her. Our hands come together. We did not held ha hold hands like I held that lady's hand. We held hands the proper way. The only problem was I was sweating so much, every couple seconds I would have to let go and flick the sweat. And there would be kids behind me that would slip and fall. Anyways, long story short, uh, she looked me in the eye at one point of the song, and I could see into her eyes because her glasses were about this thick. And I wore glasses too, so don't. No, but I could see like her retinas. I was like, wow, powerful retinas, Tina. Uh, uh, and she looked me in the eyes. I looked her in the eyes. And I'm like, this is the magical moment I'm waiting for. Our first words together. And she says, Jason, this just isn't going to work out. <laughs> Let's go in my hands. Skates over to my friend. And uh, I'll finish the story by saying this. This is an absolutely true deal. The song that was playing, it went like this. It must have been love, but it's over now. <laughs> Do you remember? It must have been love. Yeah. So I loved my childhood church because of Tina. And then Tina broke my heart and I hated my childhood church. Like I never, I never wanted to go back. I never wanted to go back. But I can remember being in this childhood church and uh, there was a, like this back stairway. And I remember one day, it was after a youth group and I was waiting for my dad to be done. And I walked up these back stairs and I heard this uh, man yelling at my dad at the top of his lungs, just screaming at him. You're bringing the wrong kind of kids into our building. We don't want those kind of kids here. And I remember like hearing my dad try to talk to this guy. And I, I can remember at 13 years old thinking, um, I don't, I don't want to be a part of a church. Like, why would I be a part of a church that, that's like this? Why, why would I be a part of a church that, where people are yelling at each other? And everyone had always told me I'm going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor someday. And I'm like, I'm not going to be a pastor of this kind of church. Like, so I went to school to study music. And halfway into my freshman year, God called me in the ministry. And then at 19, I was a youth pastor at Five Mile and Beach Daily. And since then, that's been the deal. That's been the deal. But um, at that home church, like, there were some folks who ran the pastor and the youth pastor out. And now today, if you go right now, you could buy this building for $43,000. Like, it sits empty. The church is dead. 
There's no life. I think for some of us, we, we need a different understanding of church. I love what Andy Stanley said. Andy Stanley said, many of the things you have resisted about church are things the church should have resisted. Oh, that's so good. Some of you are here because someone invited you and you've been resisting church for a long time. I'm not going to church because they're all hypocrites. I'm not going to church because all they do is want my money. I'm not going to church because I'm tired of all of the rituals that are with church. Some of the things that you've resisted about church are some of the things that church should have been resisted. And we need to correct that. We need to correct that because what happened in church history in some of church history was so good and what, some of what's happened was so bad because when Jesus showed up on the scene, he introduced something brand new, something brand new. It was a total departure and a stark contrast from the ancient religions of the day. And, and we've talked about it in this series, but, but Jesus came to like abolish the temple model. The temple model of church represented everything in religion like everything. And so the temple model, there's always sacred places, there's sacred people, there's sacred men, and it's always men, and it's always sacred text, and they have super followers and sincere followers and scared followers in the temple model. And the sacred men interpret the sacred text and tell everyone what to do and how to live and what the text means, and they become more powerful over time. And if that sounds ancient, it may also sound like the church you grew up in. Because it very much sounded like the church I grew up in. And when Jesus showed up, he introduced something brand new. There, he introduced this new arrangement between God and man called the new covenant. The new covenant. He introduced a new command to us. And the command that will supersede all commands. And if you want to know what to do, go back to this command. Because in those days, the Jews had 600 plus laws. Because every temple system has lots of rules. And Jesus says, there's lots of applications to my model, but only one command. And you filter all your decisions to this command. And he gave us a new ethic. And this one command is an ethic. It's much simpler. And he gave us a new movement. He started this brand new movement, and it was called the church. But somewhere along the line, the word church was kind of brought forefront from this German word that means house of the Lord, and it was used to describe church. And so all of a sudden, church became somewhere we went to. Church became a location. And that's why, like, you see all these giant cathedrals pop up throughout history. And so all of a sudden, all of these giant sacred spaces popped up. But the, the situation, though, is in the New Testament part of the Bible, the Bible is the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament part of the Bible is written in this language called the Greek, and the word church in the Greek is ekklesia, which means an assembly or a congregation or a gathering that's a movement. That's a movement. And so Jesus gathered people around one simple idea and the church was born. Because what we discovered is that the Jesus model is far less complicated. If you don't have to go to a sacred place, like nothing has to die. In the old model, there was sacrifices and bloodshed, but all the blood that has been shed is shed in the Jesus model. Jesus taught that you'll never go to a sacred spot more sacred than when you're with another person. That's the crazy thing. He taught when you gather, like right now, this is a sacred place because we've gathered in Jesus's name. That's the power of the Jesus model. But the Jesus model is less complicated. There's a whole lot less rules. Like I've seen what some of you are wearing. Like in the temple model, mm -mm, you wouldn't be welcome. No, no, turn around and go back and dress nicer, like or dress in this way. The Jesus model is far more demanding 
Because every religious loophole has systems and it always, it always has a place to hide and it always has a place for hypocrisy. It's almost impossible to hide from Jesus's model for church. And this is his model, John 13, 34. Look at this verse. Jesus himself said, um, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. A new commandment I give you, love. Like, that's how simple that is. When it comes to this type of love, there's no shortcuts. There are no loopholes. When it comes to the Jesus model, that's it. It's not very complicated, but it's far more demanding, isn't it? What do you mean I'm supposed to love my, na- I'm supposed to love my neighbor? Do you know what they, I'm supposed to love my enemy? What? I mean, Jesus said these things that are just mind-boggling. And he asked the question, what does love require of me? What does love? So many churches have made this so complicated throughout church history. The church has gone through some major changes for the first 40 or so years of the church history. Christians were misunderstood. They were persecuted. I mean, it was horrendous to be a Christian. And then all of a sudden, it became the majority. It was the popular thing to do. It became the religion of Rome and everything changed. Christianity went from being the persecuted minority to the empowered majority. Things changed. And then somehow the temple model slipped into church and the temple brand kind of authority. Then with that, the Bible kind of became a bat. The Bible kind of became a bat. Have you ever met a Christian where they just like want to hit people with verses? Too often it's like, it's become like Lucy the bat. I don't know if there's any Walking Dead fans, but that was so like five years ago. So five years ago. Sorry, I don't know where my mind went there. But they crammed Jesus' teaching in the temple model and they left the simplicity of a resurrected savior and the simplicity of love out of it. There would be sacred places. There'd be sacred people. There would be a hierarchy of sacred people. And Jesus' words in John 13, 34 get lost And love was no longer the central core. And so I really want to challenge you this morning. We need a brand new understanding of the word church, of the church. We need a brand new understanding of the church. Because for some of us, we're still remembering the church we grew up in. Or we're still remembering the temple model church that maybe our parents grew up in. And so we need a new understanding, one that we do. We need to live out the core of what Jesus started the church with. To love God and to love one another. Some of us need to rethink the church a little bit. Stop trying to rely on our early childhood. Some of us through the series, we've already been wrestling with some of what we believe. Some, some of us have been really challenged. We really have. Some of us are like ready to give up. Like, wait a minute. This goes against what I was taught as a kid. But for some of us, the church has become this place where we have to go back to being a movement as a church. A movement. At the church that I pastor, one of our deep values is to be for the community. Because when we planted our church in Mount Pleasant, there's 34 churches, 34 churches. We didn't want to just be another church in the community. We wanted to be for the community. And there's just not enough churches being planted to keep up with the population. And so since Mount Pleasant is the hub for lots of small rural towns, one of the ways that we try to be for the community is we started this thing called the Shoe Project. Because a lot of the schools have a, a majority of students from extremely poverty-stricken families. I mean, there are schools where 100% of the students are on free breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The only time a student gets a hot meal is when they come to school. That's how poor some of these schools are. And so I noticed as I was um, in school speaking 
I noticed that shoes were an issue. And so one day we sat down with one of the principals and we said, hey, uh, what, what, if we, what if we as a church, we just bought everybody a brand new pair of tennis shoes? And the principal started crying. She's like, you have no idea how many times we tape up kids' shoes. How many times they come to school with shoes three sizes too big or three sizes too small. Or they're so embarrassed of their shoes that just their whole demeanor changes. And so we started this thing called the Shoe Project. And so five years ago, we, we went to this school, Ganyard Elementary, and I went to my church that was brand new, and I'm like, we've got to raise $15,000. And like at that time for us, well, still for us, $15,000 is like, holy cow, where are we going to get that? But we raised it, and we went into the school, and it's like a modern-day foot washing. Kids come in, we're cheering for them. They sit on this chair. We go grab their brand-new pair of shoes. We get on our knees. We say, are you ready for your new pair of shoes? They're like, oh, my goodness. We open it up. Little girls are like, how did you know my favorite color was pink? It was crazy. The boys are like, <clears throat> that's dope. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. All right. It's like the principals call it like a run in the hallway day. And so in five years now, we've been able to give away 2,200 pair of shoes, five different schools from all over central Michigan. And schools are calling us as a church to come into their school. Like, how does that happen? How does that happen? It's just crazy. If you want to see more, we just re recently made a little video about it on Thrive's YouTube page. If you go to, th there's this website called YouTube. If you go to youtube.com slash ThriveChurchMI, you can see it. But we want to get back to being a church that's a movement, where we are moving with the people. And so we need a brand new understanding of the church. So here's what I want to do in the time that we have left. I want to go through together Maybe a few terms or words that we need a better understanding of the church. And if we get this right, it would change everything. It would change everything. And these are the things that Jesus himself wants for the church. So the first one is this. Uh, we need a brand new structure. A brand new structure. Here's what Jesus came and he flipped everything upside down. He, he said the church is a body, not a kingdom. The church is a body, not a kingdom. When, <clears throat> when Pilate was trying Jesus, Pilate asked him about this, and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And the Apostle Paul even, he taught about the kingdom of God. And when the Apostle Paul planted a church, he would tell them, you're not a kingdom, you're a body. He actually said this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it'll be on the screen. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Here's the crazy thing. If you're sitting in here this morning, and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, so you've crossed the line of faith. You said, you know what? I'm done living life on my own. I've confessed my sins. I've asked Jesus to be the Savior and the Lord of my life, and I've crossed the line of faith. I've gone from doubt to belief. I've gone from running my life to asking God to lead my life. You're now a representation of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. That's tremendous. We get that privilege to represent Jesus. And the powerful thing is each one of us was gifted by God to play a specific role in the church, which that means if you're not engaged in the church, you and your church are missing something. We convince ourselves of this lie all the time. Oh, you know what? They won't miss me if I don't show up. I have nothing to offer. Bull-loney. Bull-loney. It's just not true. I churched it up because I didn't know, like, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Of course, I'm told Shay talked about circumcision a few weeks ago. So, I mean, it's all uphill from circumcision. Anyways, 
each of you has a specific role. Uh, go back to the temple model for a second. So the temple model, uh, we're, we're taught to consume. Consume, consume, consume. Show up and consume. That's when people show up to church and they're just like, it's not deep enough. I don't like the music. It's too loud. It's too soft. There's not enough hymns. It's too dark. It's too light. That's where we get into the consume model. The pastor's too good looking. That guest speaker was too good looking. That's what we say. Some of you are going to be driving home going, that guest speaker looks just like Matt Damon. I mean, look at, bless his heart. Uh, that's the temple model. The Jesus model, though, is engage. The Jesus model is when we engage and we keep fighting to engage. And we just say, you know what? It's not about consumption because the Jesus model isn't about me. It's about the you beside you. Remember last week what we learned? It's the you beside you. That's the problem with the Jesus model. The temple model teaches us it's okay to just make the focus on us all the time and my needs and my desires. But the Jesus model is like, hey, it's about the person beside you. It's about your neighbor. It's about your family member. <clears throat> the temple model convinces us it's okay to stay home and not worship God with our, my church community. I'll just catch it online. The Jesus model says, why would I stay home and worship God alone when I can engage with the rest of my church family and change my community and change the world together? The Jesus model says, why would I cheat myself? Why would I cheat the body? Do, do you know what you are? If you're not engaged with your local church and you're just an attender, and I know we just met, so I don't mean to be offensive, but you're an amputated body part. That's what you are. And that's gross. Like, I don't mean to be rude, but like an amputated body part is gross. I cut off part of this thumb once. That was not fun. Like, it was gross. I worked at a restaurant called Mountain Jack's. That's a whole other story. I'm not quite sure if the thumb part got out into the food, but that's a different story. We won't tell that story this time. So engage. Like, can you imagine if every single person who calls Jesus their savior decided to engage? Like, they decided, I'm not simply going to just sit in a row. I'm not going to consume anymore. Imagine what would happen. Imagine if churches didn't feel this way towards each other because churches view each other sometimes and they get like, oh, it's my kingdom. It's my kingdom. And we get competitive with other churches. Why, why are we competitive with our churches? Let's pray that every church parking lot is stuffed full because then there's still a hundred times more percent of people to reach. That's just a crazy thing. That's a crazy thing. That's the first term. The second term, brand new authority. Authority, And this is where, like, Jesus got some crazy, like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, this is exercise for the benefit of those being led, not the leaders. Like, this is where it changed the whole temple model. Because the temple model, it's all about the leader. It's all about the leader. It's all about what they want. Jesus turned the leadership paradigm upside down. And he said it's not just for church leaders. It's for everyone. Here's the reality. The pastor of Grumlaw Church is not the mission of Grumlaw Church. It's not his job to go into the community and be the mission. It's part of his job because he represents you to the body. But the pastor's role is to prepare and send you to be the mission. I was speaking in Alabama a couple weekends ago, which was awesome because it was negative 20 here. And it was 57 there. And people were losing their minds. It was so cold. I was like, well, it's negative it's 20. And the waitress said to me, well, bless their hearts. <laughs> and I've learned that bless their hearts, it's not like, it's not like a nice thing. It's like... Anyways, we'll talk about that some other time. But, but I'm, I pull into this church parking lot because I'm like, oh, look at the history of this church. And I pull in, and the first thing I saw was a reserved parking spot for the pastor. And I thought, wow. 
that's incredible. And then I thought, that's ridiculous. Like the pastor's just part of the church. Like we don't need to elevate them. Like one day Jesus is with his disciples. They're on their way to Jerusalem. He knows his time is coming to an end and he hears them arguing who's going to be at the left hand and the right hand of Jesus in heaven. And one of them says, I I wonder who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like they were kingdom thinking, like someone has to lead, someone has to be the greatest. And so he sits them down and he says, listen, when you gather in my name, don't leverage your authority for your benefit. That's not how it works anymore. There's no pyramid scheme going on. You can get up top if you get three people and you get four people and you get five people. And then he says these words in Matthew 20, 26. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like the word servant actually means courier. So you want to be great? Then you're the courier for everybody that is around your life. You, you're part of a family? You're a courier for your family. You have employees at work? You're a courier for them. You serve at church? You're a courier for them. And if that's not enough, he took him to an upper room. He takes off his robe, puts a towel around his waist, and then he washed his feet. Like, talk about uncomfortable, right? Like, I've never had a dinner party where I invite people over, and I'm like, all right, gang. Let me put my towel on. Like, it doesn't work that way. So he washes their feet. He teaches them this extreme servanthood lifestyle, and then he says, I've set for you an example, so go and do this to others. That's Jesus. That's the crazy thing. That's why, like, I love when churches put such an emphasis on kids. Because in the temple model and some of our older churches, we forget about the kids. And kids matter to the heart of God, and they should matter to us. And so our best resources should go into our kids. Our kids should grow up in churches just thinking it's normal for mom and dad to love being a part of their church. It's normal for mom and dad to be in their small group. Like, that's the kind of churches. That's the second one. The third one, brand new marriage brand new marriage. Jesus turned everything upside down with this. A marriage that's characterized by mutual care and submission, not domination. And this is where people lost their minds. This was another game changer. No no wonder people were trying to run out on him. He went against all cultural norms with this one. Because if you could take a step back in history with me for a second, this was a world where women were second rate. It was a world where the theology supported the idea that men were close to God and women were like somewhere way down the list. In a world where baby girls had almost no value, everyone wanted a boy, Jesus came along and said marriage is characterized by mutual care and mutual submission. It's no longer male domination. That's a game changer. That's brand new. And he leveled the playing field and he made it a partnership that was groundbreaking. Then, if that's not enough, the Apostle Paul comes along. He's trying to explain what a Christian marriage looks like. And he says, in Ephesians 5.21, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What are you guys talking about? No, 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 the male is in charge. I love how Andy Stanley says that the key to a great marriage is defer. Defer, defer. I want you to go first. I want you to have the best. I want what you want for dinner. I know, but it's your turn. No, I'll do it. Like that's the kind of brand new marriages that Jesus taught about. That would be phenomenal. It would change things. If today we even said, okay, yeah, I I guess I could defer more. Okay, mutual submission. Let's try that. That's a tough one. Let's keep going because that one's too tough. I can see some of you. You're like, get this guy out of here. (laughs) Four, brand new spirituality. Brand new spirituality. And this is measured by how well one loves, not how much one knows. Oh, this really messes up the temple model. 
Because spirituality, what is that? Who's someone who's spiritual, right? Like, but what does that actually mean? See, spirituality is how well one loves, not how much one knows. And that's what Jesus taught us in the Jesus model. And it's actually illustrated this way in Galatians 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is insight, knowledge, understanding of the deeper things of faith, and the ability to make people hang on your every word. Nope, that's not... That's not Galatians 5. This is actually Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the Jesus model. It makes it so much simpler, but so much more demanding. That we, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not just what I know. Now, I'm not, I'm not for a second saying that studying scripture is it's very important. Every morning, this is my journal. Every morning, I do a Bible study called a SOAP. Uh, study and so every single morning scripture observation application prayer and so every morning I go through scripture and I do that in my time together so important but when this overcomes my ability to actually love people now we have issues and lastly the fifth term that needs to change everything that will just rock our world is a brand new holiness a brand new holiness it's about being a part of rather than setting oneself apart from. This is the tough one. Uh, because especially sometimes in churches or Christians, what I've seen over my short 43 years of growing up in the church and being a part of churches is that the longer a church is in existence, the more inward they become. And it becomes about our potlucks for our sisters and our brothers and our, our Christian jazzercise class. And I mean, it, like all of a sudden, we don't want to go out to where all those worldly people are. Holiness in the Jesus movement is about being a part of rather than setting oneself apart from. It's huge. It's no longer about withdrawing from, but engaging with the world. It's not about huddling up, but being a movement and going out into it. And so often Jesus followers are super good at creating holy huddles. Holy huddles. And those moments are so important. We have to engage with other believers and we have to be able to fill each other's cups, but then we have to go live it so the world sees Jesus through us. And the crazy thing is in the temple model, like sacred equaled separate. Sacred equals separate. But in John 1.14, the, the most mind-boggling thing happens. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then that flesh, Jesus, he kept touching sick people. He kept hanging out with prostitutes. He came, kept hanging out with people that the religious people of the day hated and thought there's no reason why anyone should hang out with these people. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to hang out with the least, the lost, and the last. That's who I'm going to hang out with. And that's who I'm going to be. And so he told us in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And in the book of Luke, when Jesus died, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies and the temple was torn in two. And it was like God came out and he left the temple. And this was a huge reversal. The most sacred spot on the planet was vacated. And here's what Jesus taught us. Holy people have dirty hands. Holy people have dirty hands. Dirty is the new holy. I think the holiest people in this building right now are the ones next door serving kids who are on, their, on the ground right now, who are loving children and teaching them that there is a, a Savior who is so madly in love with them and his name is Jesus. Never confuse giftedness with holiness. Never confuse giftedness. So here's my challenge to you as we close up this series, as, as we begin this time of worship. Like our devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by our love for others. So are you ready 
to love others in such a powerful way that the world will want to be a part of the church. Imagine if we left here today and we hung on to Jesus' command in John chapter 13, love one another. It would change our entire community. It would change our family. It would change this region for Jesus. And let's be that kind of church.